You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. So a number of people wrote to me after the last episode to thank me for the question of the day. So here's one more for you. What were the first two electric toys to be inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame? Now, without being too specific, when I was a kid in the 60s, just about every boy had one of these toys and just about every girl had the other. And both are still around, although the popularity of both have since declined. So can you name the first two electric toys that were inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame? I'll reveal the names of these two toys at the end of the podcast. Now here's a crazy question for you. Can you ever be too old to be adopted? Somewhere in the back of my mind, I had always assumed that once you became an adult, you know, 18 years of age, that the book was closed on adoption. Well, today's story is evidence that one can never be too old to be adopted. Although, you know, some may choose it for all the wrong reasons as you're about to hear. The main character of this bizarre story that I'm about to tell you is a New Orleans native named Dr. Raymond Louis Lascola. A skilled pianist, Lascola received his medical degree from Louisiana State in 1941. A couple of years later, he headed out west to do his residency at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, and for the next 25-plus years, Lascola built up a very successful practice. Then, during the late 1960s and into the early 70s, he slowly transitions his practice from one of dealing with young children to that of clinical hypnosis. And if he had just stuck to dealing with children, my guess is that none of what you're about to hear would have ever happened. In 1976, Dr. Lascola went in search of a building to house his practice. He opted to purchase a home at 5020 West Olympic Boulevard in Los Angeles, which at the time was owned by a monk named, uh, and I'm going to butcher this, I know, a monk named Aria Dama Thera and his wife Georgia. That's a lot easier to say. The couple had decided to move to another residence that they owned in Palm Springs. Thera had been born Benjamin Martin Marshall in Bombay, India in 1901. You see, his mother was Persian and his dad half Scottish and half Indian, which made him an outcast in Indian society. So he turned to Buddhism and ultimately decided that it was in his best interest to leave his homeland. His chosen destination was the United States, but the federal government kept denying his entrance. Now, around the same time, the monk's future wife, Georgia Mahone, was married to a prominent Kansas City lawyer. 
but she had great interest in Buddhism and was immediately drawn to Thera. As you can probably guess, Georgia dumped her wealthy husband and married the monk. Now, we'll never know if they married for love or was just so that Thera could come to the U.S. legally, but there are a few facts that I should mention that will be of some importance as this story continues. First, Georgia had walked out of the marriage with a lot of money. This enabled the new couple to establish and finance the American Institute of Buddhist Studies in the lower level of their home. Second, the monk had taken a vow of celibacy, so the marriage was never consummated. The couple had been together for nearly 30 years when Dr. Lascola purchased their home, and the good doctor began to treat Georgia's high blood pressure, and before long, the three had developed a very strong friendship. And here's where everything starts to get weird, really weird. On February 14th of 1979, that's Valentine's Day, the couple adopted Dr. Lascola. At the time, the monk was 78, his wife Georgia was 88, and their newly adopted son, get this, was a tender young 63 years of age. So just what was going on here? Well, that really depends on who you ask. According to Dr. Lascola, the monk was starting to lose his memory and he needed to be institutionalized. The monk's wife knew that she was in declining health and feared that she would die before her husband did. So just a mere 13 days after the adoption, Georgia signed a new will that left everything to Dr. Lascola. In exchange, he agreed to care for her husband in the best way that he could until he also passed on. As George's health declined, Lascola ultimately decided it would be best if she moved in with him, you know, so he could care for her around the clock. She did just that and passed away a short five months and four days after the adoption had been finalized. Lascola indicated on her death certificate that she died of congestive heart failure and then made a stupid decision that would ultimately come back to haunt him in a very big way. You see, since the monk was suffering from Alzheimer's, the doctor decided to forge Thera's signature so that the body could be immediately cremated. And here's where the last major character in our story enters the picture. Mary Steele Kay, a 57-year-old woman who had been one of the monk's approximately 100 pupils for many years, heard through the grapevine that Mrs. Thera had died. She hired two lawyers, the father and son team of Martin and Franklin Radoff, to locate the monk and they found them resigning at the Casa Descanso in Santa Monica, which supposes just a few miles from Dr. Lascola's main residence. Now that the monk had been located, Ms. K and an unidentified man went to the rest home on May 14th of 1980 and decided to sneak him out and take him for a ride. Now this wasn't so much of a joy ride as it was more of a kidnapping. According to the press, he was dressed in, quote, two pairs of pants and unmatched shoes covered in feces. Clearly this is not a guy in his right mind and there's no way he can make legal decisions, but six days later the couple was, get this, married. Now what I haven't mentioned was that Mary Steele Kay had supposedly been the celibate monk's lover for many years. Yeah, that's right, his lover. The relationship ended in 1973 when the first Mrs. Thera learned of the affair. A court order was issued on June 9th for the monk to be returned to his care facility, but the police had to do some searching first. 
they ultimately located Thera at the home of his new wife's daughter. Notice I didn't say he was found in the daughter's home. He was found at the home. Make that lying on the floor in the backseat of her car covered with a blanket. Now it became a battle of words. The doctor claimed that Ms. K kidnapped and married the monk for the sole purpose of obtaining his fortune. Big shock there. Then her side claimed that the doctor used the power of drugs and hypnosis to get Thera to agree to the adoption for the sole purpose of, you guessed it, obtaining his fortune. And if the story wasn't weird enough yet, it's only going to get weirder. On August 22nd, Lascala was arrested by the LAPD. The charges, get ready, there's a list of them, illegally prescribing drugs, grand theft, intimidation of a witness, attempting to coerce a witness into changing his testimony, and the biggest one of them all, murder with special circumstances. Most of these charges stem from the testimony of a convicted drug dealer and forger named William Shenley, who, in exchange for $2,000, testified that while the doctor was drunk one evening, quote, the scholar told me that he gave Georgia a shot at insulin to kill her using insulin because it couldn't be detected in an autopsy. And of course, this led to the charge of murder with special circumstances for which the scholar could receive the death penalty. Shenley also claimed that Lascola had provided prescriptions to addicts in exchange for a little, you know, one-on-one action, if you know what I mean. Investigators searched Lascola's office, home, and car. According to one investigator, quote, The house was unbelievable. There were ants and big bags filled up with trash everywhere, and rat feces were all over. The rats had been gnawing at food in the cupboards. The place smelled awful. Of course, having a filthy home doesn't make one guilty of murder. But investigators noted that a number of the Thera's valuable possessions had gone missing, and that included one gold-plated statue of Buddha. And what may have been the most incriminating piece of evidence, even if it really didn't prove anything, get this, Lascola had been driving around in Mrs. Thera's Cadillac for more than a year with her ashes in the trunk. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. and things were only to get worse for Lascola. A few months later, he was charged with attempting to hire hitmen to kill the law team of Radoff and Radoff. Again, this was based on the testimony of the ex-con, William Shenley. The doctor was also charged on two counts of grand theft. The first claim was obvious to anyone following the case. He was accused of stealing money and valuables from the Theras. The second charge came as a surprise, however. Lascola had supposedly coerced a New Orleans doctor named George Ronstrom into signing a will on September 24th of 1979 that left his entire million-dollar estate to him. The will was nearly identical to the one that the Theras had signed. Really, how bad can this case get? It's, it's just unbelievable. But things started to turn around on December 30th. 
the two charges of soliciting murder against the Rados and the charge of witness tampering were thrown out, and that's because it was believed that Shenley had perjured himself while testifying in another case. So prosecutors are now in a bind. Their case was largely built on the testimony of a paid informant, you know, one who had been a snitch in more than 50 cases, and now he's suspected of lying on the witness stand. If the case went to trial, could they get a conviction against La Scola? The answer to that question came on Friday the 13th of March 1981. While this is considered an unlucky day for most, La Scola only had good fortune. All but one of the charges against him were dropped. The only remaining charge was for an improperly issued prescription for a heroin substitute that had been found by investigators. Lascola pleaded no contest to the charge, and he was sentenced to time already served, the 77 days he spent in county jail, and he was placed on three years probation. Ultimately, Dr. Lascola's adoption was voided, and the marriage between the monk and Mary Steele Kay was annulled by the courts. Aria Damathera died in natural causes on August 20th of 1985. He was 84 years old. As for Dr. Lascola, he spent the last few years of his life back in New Orleans before passing away on April 4th of 1994 at the age of 78. So this whole thing got me thinking. Sadly, both of my parents are no longer with us, so I'm in need of a rich elderly couple that would be willing to adopt me. I promise to take really, really good care of both of you as long as you leave your entire estate to me. So there are any takers? Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. The makers of X-Lax, America's best-tasting laxative, present every day, Monday through Friday, The Doctor's Wife, starring Patricia Wheel and Donald Curtis. The gay, heartwarming story of a woman who is married to a doctor and likes it. Do you know that the X-Lax way is the easy way to take a laxative? Let me quickly give you three important reasons. First, X-Lax is easy on you. It's gentle but thorough. It doesn't get tough with you. Second, X-Lax is easy to like because it's America's best-tasting laxative. It's as good-tasting as any piece of chocolate you ever ate. Third, it's easy to take, 100% convenient. No spoon, no glass, nothing to mix or measure. What a contrast when you take some other type of product. You walk out to the kitchen to get a spoon and glass and then back to the medicine cabinet to measure the dose. And then you have to wash up a messy spoon and glass. You say goodbye to such nuisances when you change to X-Lax. All you do is eat a delicious little chocolated tablet. So next time nature forgets, remember X-Lax, the easy way to take a laxative. That commercial for X-Lax is from the March 18th broadcast of The Doctor's Wife. Did you catch where they said it was as good as any piece of chocolate that you ever ate? For most of its history, X-Lax contained phenolphthalein as its main ingredient, which is also used as a common pH indicator in science labs. And, you know, being a science teacher, I used to purchase X-Lax as a gimmicky way to test pH during my demos. So one day, I left a box on my desk, and I noticed that a number of pieces were missing. I later learned that one student had stolen them so he could give his friend some chocolate. Mm -mm -mm. 
I'm not sure if he enjoyed the fine chocolates, but my guess is he had to find a bathroom shortly after that. As for its history, back in 1906, a Hungarian-born pharmacist named Max Kiss, K-I-S-S, just as it sounds, he was trying various recipes to make an over-the-counter laxative that was more palatable. He ultimately came up with the chocolate-flavored recipe. Then he teamed up with a drug wholesaler named Israel Katz, and they opened their first factory in Brooklyn later that year. So why did they name it X-Lax? It was very simple. It's short for Excellent Laxative. The company grew very quickly and built a large manufacturing facility on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. The building was turned into co-op apartments in 1981, but if you go there today, the arch entrance to the building still bears the name Exlax Incorporated. In other news, I have three shorter stories for you today that all have something to do with glass. At least they loosely have something to do with glass. The Associated Press reported on January 30th of 1918 that the U.S. government was appealing to the public to send any binoculars, spyglasses, telescopes, sextants, and chronometers by mail or express to the Navy. A similar request several weeks earlier had brought in more than 6,000 of these devices, but that was far from what they felt was needed to sight enemy German U-boats. They promised to return the devices to their rightful owners after the war. That's assuming they weren't lost or damaged in battle. On July 12th of 1949, men doing excavation work for a building project in Cincinnati, Ohio, unintentionally broke into some long-forgotten wine cellars. There they discovered hundreds of bottles of wine, many of which were more than 100 years in age. A good number of the bottles bore labels that said, quote, invaluable for general debility, loss of appetite, prostration, and nursing mothers. They added that it should be consumed three times a day. Yep, there's nothing like a drunk nursing mother to care for her newborn. The cellars were once part of the Longworth Wine House, Old-time residents said it had gone out of business more than 50 years prior. Then later, a wholesale drug company occupied the site, but it had been torn down about 35 years before the rediscovery of the wine cellars. Finally, on the evening of June 2nd of 1959, New Orleans police received a call from a man who claimed to have smashed a window on Bourbon Street. Five minutes later, the police received another call that he had smashed another window at a nearby music store. Both times, the police responded quickly, but the man was already gone. But that didn't stop him. Next, he picked up a sewer cover and he threw it through a window of a department store that was down the street. And this time, he was restrained by onlookers, but he still managed to get away. So just what did he do next? He walked into a drugstore and he called the police once again. And this time the police got their man. He was identified as a waiter named Jean-Jacques Bruneau and they booked him for criminal mischief. Amazingly, he wasn't drunk or mad at anyone. Instead, he said that he loved the windows. So one has to ask, if he loved the windows, then why did he proceed to smash them? Bruneau was quoted as saying, I like to hear the glass tinkle. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now for the answer to the question of the day. I had asked what were the first two electric toys to be inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame. So did you figure them out? Uh, My wife actually got them in about 30 seconds. The answer is the Easy Bake Oven and Lionel Trains, both of which were inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York in 2006. If you're curious, the first toys inducted into the Hall of Fame, that occurred back in 1998. They were Barbie, Crayola Crayons, The Erector Set, Etch-A-Sketch, Frisbee, Lego, Marbles, Monopoly, Play-Doh, The Teddy Bear, and Tinker Toys. My guess is that you, just like me, once played with many of these. Well, that brings this episode of the Useless Information Podcast to a close. You can find additional true stories just like the one that you just heard on my website, which is uselessinformation.org, and in the two books that are written by me, Steve Silverman. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can receive automatic updates when a new episode is released. You can do it for free through iTunes or just about any other podcast indexing service. Uh, Of course, I'd appreciate if you can like the show on Facebook. Uh, Just go to Facebook and do a quick search for the Useless Information Podcast. Special thanks to all the listeners who contact me about my voice and throat problems. I really thought it was pretty much healed by the time summer ended, but uh, it only took three days of uh, teaching to blow it out again. guess I'm off to the doctor. Nothing serious, but uh, I'd like to get it all solved. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast.